We've been on a series on evangelism. And so this does fit well to be reaching out to our friends and family members to invite them along. That's not, um, doesn't meet the full definition of evangelism, but an invitation to church is certainly a part of that picture. Uh, evangelism is important because humanity is lost in the worst kind of way and that we don't even know that we're lost. And if you're going to be lost, the worst kind of lost is the kind where you don't even realize that you're in the wrong place. Megan and I were driving to Kansas one year. Uh, we had been married only a year and a half. We had a, we had a newborn in the car who hated being in the car seat. And, and that's 18 hours is a long drive when your child does not like to be in the car seat. So you basically hope she falls asleep and you floor it and you get as far as you can until you have to pull over again. On that trip, um, when we got into Missouri, um, we started hearing reports on the radio about bad weather and we were like, okay, cool. Like, so Boonville's gonna get it. Boonville, basically, you're gonna die if you live in Boonville. Get off the road, go in your basement, go in your tornado shelters if you got them. You know, it was like, we were like, man, Boonville's gonna get it. We just didn't know we were in Boonville <laughs> until we saw the tornado come down. Like just, you know, close enough that you could see a tornado. That's a terrifying thing. And now we're like, oh, great. We're driving this cute little Jeep Liberty. This cute, you know, it's like a cute car. And we're like, we're going to die. And you're like, do I pull over? No, you don't pull over. Do I, what do we do? We got a baby. We're freaking out. So we just kept, I just kept driving. I sped up. I was like, that's what they do in storm chasers. They just speed up and we'll just speed up and maybe we'll make it through. When you don't know where you are, sometimes that's the worst kind and you don't even, you don't even realize you're in danger because you think you know where you are. We didn't think we were in Boonville, but we were in Boonville. And um, it turned out it was the day that had the most tornado, tornadoes in history of Missouri or something like that. And um, we didn't get to go very far because just a mile later, there was a tractor trailer turned over and blocking the whole road and trampoline in the middle of the street. That's weird stuff. And when you see a trampoline fall in the middle of the street, you know you're in Boonville. So, um, but that was, a, that was a terrifying moment. But we, we, were, we, weren't, we weren't lost, but we didn't know where we were, even though we thought we did. And that's the way that it is. Now, here's the problem, and I guess this is where my analogy will change analogies. But if you don't know where you are, um, you might come up with the wrong solution. My solution was to drive faster, not the best solution with a tornado in a little car, just in case you're wondering, you're supposed to get to an underpass or get off the road and get in a ditch. Um, but what we do is because we, don't, we, we misdiagnose the problem and, and we apply the wrong solution because we don't know what's going on. We, know, we all know at some level that if we get that nagging pain that something's wrong and, and something's not right. And for all of us from the very beginning, that, that not right is the severed relationship with God. The relationship that we were designed to be in to give us life, meaning, and purpose is severed. And, and so what we do is we try and plug different things in to give us what it is that we think that we need. I was talking to Pastor Eddie um, just yesterday about, about a medical thing that was going on in my life in 2015. I was going through some stuff, and it was misdiagnosed, and so I took the wrong medicine. And the wrong medicine exasperated the problem that I was dealing with, and things just spiraled and got worse and worse and worse and worse because we were applying the wrong solution because we had the wrong diagnosis. And so what happens with, with our lostness in humanity, we're like, oh, if I just plug in this relationship, that'll help me. 
If I just, if I just drink enough alcohol, it'll solve my problems. If I just take enough drugs, it'll, it'll numb the pain. If I just make more money, everything will be okay. If I just do this, if I just do, if I just lose more weight, if I just gain more weight, if I just cut my hair, if I just had some hair, if I just, you know, like we, we try and apply all of these other things to solve the problem of our soul, but we've misdiagnosed it. The problem is that we've been severed from the one who's going to give us life, purpose, and meaning. And so we look for all of these other things that were never designed to do it in the first place to fill that void. And we cause more damage to our soul than even before. That's why evangelism is so significant. Because with the gospel, with the message of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us, we bring the answer to the real problem. And sometimes, you know, it'll meet resistance. Like, no, 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 that's not the problem. I definitely need more money. No, you definitely don't need more money. You need to be reconnected to the one who designed you and purposed you for life. Romans 10, 15 says this. How can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. That's God's encouragement to us today. Father, help us today to understand the significance of evangelism, of proclaiming your gospel to all the earth. I ask that we would hear with fresh ears what it is that you have in store for us and what you would have us do as a result of the blessings you've poured out on us. In Jesus' name, amen. I was 18 when I led my first missions trip. It was to Panama uh, with an organization called Teen Mania. And um, actually, it's kind of funny. So the youth pastor and his wife were, were pregnant and expecting their child. And they were like, he's like, I can't go. I, I got to stay here because my wife has the baby. And he's like, David, I, w- I want to send you. And the pastors were like, hey, that's a really good plan. But who's going to keep the kids alive? <laughs> like, they were like, David's got faith for days. But we want these, <laughs> we want these kids to come back. They were like, we'll send Megan, who's not my wife. Right? And they were like, Megan will make sure they come back alive. She'll make sure that they don't do anything crazy. David will make sure they walk that line just crazy enough to see some stuff happen. So we go out, and we're going through the villages of Panama, and it's hot, and we're doing these skits, and we're preaching the gospel, and we're doing all these things. I was the Bono of missions. Like, you too. I thought I was, a, I, was, I was 18 years old. I got a high school diploma. I'm going to college I'm an American. I'm in, from the United States. We're still in the Americas. I'm from the United States, middle, middle class family. I got the gospel. I go to Pastor Brett Fuller's church. <laughs> I got this reconciliation thing down. You know, I'm going to take the, I was the man. And I was the man the whole time. And then one of the last days we were in this little tiny church. And this man, this elder in the church, I, we, we presented, we shared our stories, we did the skit in this church. This older man came up and he got down on his hand. He's, he's like, I want to pray for you. And we were like, oh, that's cool. You sh- should be praying, to, you know, <laughs> for me. I almost said praying to me because that was my heart's mind. I was like, I deserve that. I've been working hard this week. I've been preaching the gospel. I'm an evangelist. And he got down on his hands and knees and put his hands and face on the shoes of these teenagers. And he starts weeping on our feet. We've been sweating. 
Our shoes were wet with sweat. It was, they were dirty from a week of doing skits all throughout the streets and, and walking through these little villages. It was filthy and disgusting, and it was in that moment that God arrested my heart. It's like, it's not you that makes the gospel beautiful. It's me. It's not the effort that you put into being there that makes this significant. It's the effort that I put in that makes this significant. This man was praying for our feet. I was humbled. I was confused. Convicted. The gospel's the power of God unto salvation, not the power of my presentation. I had been so caught up on everything that I knew and everything that I was going to be, everything I was going to be to them that I lost sight of the one who put all of this in motion in the first place. What does evangelism mean? Evangelism is defined as the proclamation of the gospel or telling the good news about Jesus Christ. There's a, there's a rumor that goes around. It gets spread around. It's a false quote. St. Francis of Assisi, and people say that he said that, um, you know, preach the gospel at all times, use words when necessary. And it, I understand the sentiment, and the sentiment is good. Live in a way that people would know that you're a believer, even if you don't say anything. But he just, he never said it. He almost said it, he, he, the closest he gets is basically saying it in the reverse. And he's saying, preach it and go live it. Proclamation is necessary. Talking about it is necessary. If I didn't know better, I'd say that all of my neighbors are, are Christians. Because they're not out fighting in the street. You know, they're not throwing stuff at each other in the front yard. They're not, they've got, you know, in some ways they've got a, a quote, better life than me. A vacation homes or nicer cars. Right? You, don't, you don't see their kids not going to bed. You don't see their kids getting out of bed at night. <laughs> you just assume that they eat their vegetables and stuff. Right? You look at the surface and you're like, oh, wow. They, they, like they, we look ex exactly the same. The, the painful reality is that some of my neighbors don't have a saving relationship with Jesus. They're dead to the things of God. They have no eternal hope. They have just what they have now. And that's why words become necessary. Because without words, you could easily be confused for something else. Just a, a good person, a moral person. Well, that's good but it's not the full story. Or people attribute it to something else, another God, another way. Maybe they attribute it to your diet or your workout regimen or the money you make or the success that you have or maybe the failures that you had, the family you come from. Words are necessary. It's not a mandate to stand on a street corner and shout at your neighbors. It's not a mandate to start every conversation with, you know, today's the year of the Lord. 
April 2nd, right? I I did that backwards. I don't clearly do that. It's not a mandate to shout everybody down or to make every single interaction about Jesus. But it's about being at the ready to speak up every opportunity you get. Um, I'm going to... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share five ways that we can share our faith in, in practical and meaningful ways. Actually, I'm going to merge two of them, so we'll do four. The first is to throw a party. Throw a party. That feels good, right? In John chapter 2, I won't turn there for, for time, but uh, Jesus chose to do the first miracle that he did at a party. He turned water into wine. It's where his disciples first believed. He had called them. They knew he was a good teacher. They knew he had, had, to, you know, had some clout. They, he taught and he had some understanding that nobody else had. He had some authority that nobody else had. But it was at this party that he did his first miracle and people were able to see, man, this guy's, this guy's the real thing. He's really doing it. I would encourage you to throw a party. Let your Christian and your non-Christian friends mix and, and watch the power of the, the, com, the Christian community that you're a part of influence your non-believing friends. Now, see, I'm, I'm saying this on live stream, so people are going to be, they're going to know what I'm doing when I throw a party. But they don't see you right now unless you checked in on Facebook. But throw a party, have people over, be welcoming, be hospitable. It was a miracle of hospitality. It was a miracle of of power. It was a miracle of sustaining power. It was a miracle of making something out of nothing. It was a miracle on a whole lot of levels. But the most significant thing there is that their eyes were open to the reality of the kingdom. Now, we got to be a little bit careful here, right? I mean, the big miracle was water into wine. And uh, maybe your miracle will be that it'll be a good party without wine. (laughs) <laughs> Somebody's like, that'd be a miracle. <laughs> you knew my neighbors. <laughs> you knew my family. Um, <laughs> you know, we don't, we don't have to be scared of wine, by the way. Um, you know, just do things in moderation and don't stumble someone else. If you've got friends or family members who struggle with alcohol or you previously have had a struggle with alcohol, keep the alcohol out. And you don't have to, like worry about being cool or not cool. I think that's the number one failure of, of, of believers. Like you kind of, you, you stopped going to the club and you stopped doing certain things. And so we're afraid we're not going to be cool if we throw a party without something. So it's like, you don't want to mention like, you know, I'd have beer. I just ran out because <laughs> I drank it all by myself last night. No, nope, that doesn't help me. Right, like we want, you want to be cool or you want to justify something or like we'd have alcohol, but I just, you know, don't, just don't, don't have it if you don't, just don't have it. It's, it's easy. Same way you don't do a lot of things when you have people over. It's like, put pants on. <laughs> like you don't apologize for that. Anyway, let's keep going. <laughs> Invite someone to church. Actually, let's, let's slim that down. Let's just say invite someone. 
A few, uh, few months ago, I preached a message on taste and see that the Lord is good. Was anybody here? And we had chocolate. We handed out this dark chocolate, sea salt, caramel, and we ate it during the sermon, and it was delicious. And we were like, we need to taste and see that the Lord is good. This is step two. Now invite somebody else to come taste and see. Invite somebody else to come and see this, this God that you believe in, this person that you believe in, this people that you're a part of. I'm, I'm, I love y'all, and I want people to meet you. When I invite people to church, the only way I'm insecure is like, hey, I'm going to get up front, and I might say weird things. It just, I, 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 I'm going to say something that I mean, but I don't mean to mean it. And so come and meet everybody else. I'm proud of you. It's like, come meet my people. Come meet my God. Come see how we worship. I'm just, I love what God's done in my life, and I want, to, I want you to experience that, and I want you to experience the people that God has added me to. I want you to come and experience this thing on Sunday morning that, that isn't a dead ritual. It's not just ceremony for the sake of ceremony, but it's, but it's purposeful and meaningful and rich in, in symbolism and rich in power. Come and see. In John chapter 1, verse 43, the disciples, uh, Jesus was calling his disciples. And the next day, uh, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. And he found this guy, Philip. And he said to Philip, follow me. And Philip follows him. And even after just a little while, after a few conversations, after just a few moments, Philip realized what was happening. Then Philip um, found Nathaniel and said, we found the one that Moses was talking about. We found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets, the prophets wrote about. It's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And, and uh, Nathaniel's like, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Can anything good happen in a public high school on Sunday morning? Don't churches have real buildings? Can, any, can anything good happen in your life? Aren't you the guy who did that thing? I've seen his Facebook thread. He is strange. Can something good come from that? Can something good come from a religion that, we, that I attribute the crusades to? Can something good come from a faith that, that believes in Adam and Eve? Can something good come from a religion that, that is, that's confused about my beliefs in science? Right? Can something good come from that kind of people? Oh, gosh. Thank you, JC. Oh, it's stressful. It's stressful. I don't even remember what I just said. I just needed a yes or an amen or something, brother. Thank you. Can something good come from Sterling, Virginia? Can something good come? Can something good meet in a high school on Sunday mornings? God, we are more than where we meet. We're more than where we meet. We're more than where we come from. We're more than where we're going. We're God's people. That was really stressful. I'm still trying to get over that, JC. <laughs> you know when you got to do something and you're like, oh, yeah, I got to do that. And then you walk away from it and, you, and you, you're like, oh, there's something that I got to do. That's how I feel about that moment. So thank you. <laughs> you know, we're the kind of church where you can talk back a little bit, right? Not everything's rhetorical. Thank you. Not everything's rhetorical. Do you understand that? Yeah. All right. <laughs> oh. I was talking to some, some of our team members this morning. I was like, I just want to be a little more charismatic. Like, not all the way Kojic. If you're Kojic, it, Church of God in Christ, and it's about as charismatic as you can get. Not true. 
but very charismatic. You know, like we're not trying to handle snakes or anything weird. We're just trying to make sure that you're engaging and Kojic doesn't handle snakes. That was, I changed a different idea. <laughs> I just want to know that you're coming with me, right? Because I could get up here and talk and, and preach and proclaim all I want. But if you don't understand, we're, we're, we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. God is moving. So then, um, so Nathaniel's like, can anything good come from that? And Philip, Yes. Philip said, come and see. And that's all you got to do. Come and see. You don't have to have an answer for evolution. Did dinosaurs and Adam live together? Did he eat T-Rex steaks? You don't have to answer that. By the way, heartbreaker, T-Rex might not have even been real. That's a tragedy. Anyway, <laughs> there goes my childhood. <laughs> um. But, uh, but all you have to do is invite, come and see. You don't have to do all of it. You don't have to make it happen. You don't have to manufacture the results. It's just come and see. Come put yourself in the right place to hear God. Come put yourself in the right place to be influenced by the Holy Spirit. Come put yourself in the right here to, place to hear some good news that you wouldn't hear just hanging out at home watching ESPN replays. ESPN's just going to play the same stuff over all day anyway. So just catch it later and get a good nap. You know, another great way to evangelize is to pray for hurting and sick friends. Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. This is in Acts chapter 3. And a man who had been lame since birth, uh, who had been carried back and forth to the temple gates uh, to beg for alms. It's a good place to do it, right? Because people had to give alms. And so you want to go where people are going to be wanting to do the best thing. And so he's like, hey, I'm going to hang out at the temple gate. People have to give alms. I'll beg for alms there and I'll be hooked up. So he's sitting at the beautiful gate to ask alms of people entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. This wouldn't have been a surprise. And Peter directed his gaze at him. And so did John and said, look at us. And the man looked and fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. And he was about to get a lot more than he had ever bargained to ask for. Anything more than he had dared to hope for. Dared more than he ever dared dream for. Peter said, I have no silver or gold. I'm sure the man's heart dropped. Ah, oh, dang. Maybe he's going to give me some change. He's going to give me some change. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and, and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Just so you don't miss it. This is miracle upon miracle uh, upon miracle. If you're lame your whole life, your, your legs are atrophied and your brain doesn't even care about how to walk anymore. It moves on. It's like, I'm going to focus on other things. I'm going to, I, there's no connection. It's not, it's not happening. So this miracle is the miracle that the, the spinal cord did whatever it had to do. The nerves did whatever it had to do. The muscles were strengthened to do whatever they had to do. Have you ever watched the baby walk? Like learning to walk, they're little and they got a little tiny center of gravity and they fall over. They can't even stay up. So there's a grown man standing up and knowing how to walk with a big old high center of gravity, right? Try learning how to walk when you're five foot eight. I'm assuming he was average. <laughs> when he stood up, he probably felt like he was 15 feet tall. 
So he stands up and he had, and he had to do it. And, and he had to walk in this side note. He also had to get a job after, after the miracle was done. I, I highlight this occasionally. But, you know, we pray for a miracle. And when the miracle happens, now we got to work. Right? You prayed for the husband. You got the husband. Congratulations. He's more knucklehead than you expected. Now you get to work. Our wives are better than we ever could have dreamed or imagined. Amen. Just trying to help you. We got more than we could have asked for or imagined. Amen. Gentlemen, I'm trying to help you. Be a little bit charismatic for just a second. It'll help you. (laughs) You prayed for that job, and that job is now torturing you. But you got answered your prayer. That boss you've got is your answer prayer. Oh, that wasn't supposed to sound so sad. <laughs> Invite your boss to church on Easter Sunday <laughs> so their heart can be changed. I know this is a, uh, but praying for our hurt or sick friends, <laughs> back to that. It's an easy but scary first step. It's again a place where you're not responsible for the results, but God is. This is an opportunity to demonstrate the compassion and the hospitality, the love and the concern of God. You just step out and, and, and pray for them and, and see if God would move. I know I, Brian Schweppe has been laying hands on people and seeing them get healed. It's, it's really, really cool to, to watch that occurring. Listen, hey, best case scenario, the power of God is manifested in a miraculous way and that person is healed physically, emotionally, spiritually, that they're healed. It doesn't just have to be people with physical injuries. You could see that somebody's heartbroken and, and pray for God to heal their heart, to heal their soul, to help their mind, to restore their strength. You can pray for more than just physical healing and God can heal people in a moment. So that's your best case scenario. The, the, the power of God manifests and they leave away, they leave, leave away, they leave not depressed. They walk away hopeful, full of joy, full of peace, knowing that something greater is available to them. Hey, check this out. This is the worst case scenario is that you pray for them and the power of God is manifested in love and compassion and humility. That's the very worst case scenario if you pray for somebody and they're not physically, spiritually, emotionally healed. That they touch eternity with your prayers. Because when we pray, it's kind of like it's speaking into eternity and we're engaging the God of the universe. We're engaging the one who was, who is, and who who always will be. And so when we pray, that might be the very first time ever that somebody's touched eternity and put a name to it. That they didn't just cry out, oh God, in rush hour traffic. <laughs> or trying to get out of a test, God help me. <laughs> out of frustration, God, or, or out of desperation, God saved my kid, but they don't know who he is, so they can't give a name to him. When a man or woman of God, when a Christian prays, we touch eternity, and this might be the very first time that they ever experienced that. That's the worst case scenario. Lastly, I want to say you could tell your story. It's a less religious way of saying, share your testimony. You can talk about, you can identify with where somebody is. And if you've been in that same place, you can identify with that and talk about the significance of God to heal you, to make you new, to restore you, to save you, to redeem you, to redeem the time, 
to set you free from addiction. If that's what God done has, if that's what God's done in your life, to heal your marriage, if that's what God's done in your life, to give you significance and purpose and meaning, if you had none, that's the promise of God. In First John chapter one, the author says this: that which was from the beginning, which we've heard which we've seen with our eyes and we've looked upon and we've touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was made manifest and we have seen it and we testify to it and proclaim to you this eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. That which we've experienced, that's what we've laid eyes on, laid eyes on and put hands on. That which we experienced in my own reality, that's what I'm telling you about. That's all I can tell you about is what I experienced that I know to be true. I, I love talking to people who are smarter than me. because I, I typically learn in those conversations, but sometimes it veers into a place where I, I don't have an answer. And maybe that's what you're afraid of, not having an answer. Somebody's gonna challenge you on evolution or somebody's gonna challenge you on, on, on the resurrection or somebody's gonna challenge you on why bad things happen to good people. You wanna know what the best answer is for that situation? I don't know. I can't talk to you about that because I don't know. I know somebody who does. Let me find someone who does. Let me put in a phone call. I love being a part of a, a spiritual family. We got this guy, Dr. Brian Miller at our Nashville church. He's a physicist from MIT. It's like, okay, you want to talk about carbon dating? Let's do it. Not with me, but with him. That's not a sign from heaven. That's, you guys hear that? Okay. It was a sign from heaven. No. That which we've seen and heard, we proclaim to you also so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. When we invite people to come and see, when we invite people to touch eternity in prayer, when we throw a party to introduce people to our fellowship, what we're saying is come and know us because when you come and know us, you're gonna meet God too because he's, he's the one that makes all of us who we are together. That's exciting to me. If it was just about me, man, I wouldn't have the privilege of leading anybody to Jesus. But it's about the Holy Spirit that indwells us together. What it is that we want everyone to know. What it is that's worth traveling for and worth sticking your neck out for at the water cooler. Is that Jesus is the answer to the things that our heart has been longing for. He's the one who created us. He's the one who desires to give us, awaken us to the reality of the purpose and meaning that he's created us for, that he's created you for. When I think about the people in my life who I, who I love who don't know Jesus, I just wanna see every barrier get stripped down so that they can know and experience what I 
know and have experienced in Jesus Christ. Evangelism is nothing more than that. Want to know how evangelism is like nachos? <laughs> if you eat good nachos, you're going to tell someone about them. That is right. And you're going to tell them where you got them. And you're going to tell them how you got them. You might even teach somebody how to eat them right. This is how you deal with the bacon on top. This is how you deal with that cheese at the bottom of the plate. You're running out of chips. You got to have a strategy here. This is how I get around the parking situation. This is where I sit. This is the sweet spot in the auditorium. <laughs> this is how I raise my hands during worship. This is how I express my gratitude with my resources and with my time. The gospel's a lot better than nachos and a lot more worthy of us talking about inviting people into and instructing people in. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the good news that while we were sinners, you love us. You pursued us relentlessly as we built up walls to keep you out. As we intentionally ran from you, God, you pursued us. And for that, we say thank you. 